Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning to those in the United States and around the world. I don't know what your time zone's in. I don't know what time zone you are in, rather, but uh, Shalom, which in the Hebrew means peace. My name is Kennard. I am your host for the Merciful Service of God biblical instructional program this program is for people who understand or want to understand the following scripture Matthew chapter 18 Matthew chapter 18 beginning in verse 1 in the King James Version at the same time came the disciples or the Talmudim that's what the disciples means in Hebrew unto Jesus saying who is the greatest that word greatest in the Greek means metazone, and it means larger, the elder, in the kingdom of heaven, which means the kingdom of God. Verse 2 of Matthew chapter 18, and Yeshua, a Jesus, called a little child unto him and set him in the midst or in the middle of them. And in verse 3, and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted, that word converted in the Greek means strepho, and it means to reverse. Uh, Hebraically, it means to repent, to shuva in Hebrew, to change. And become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of God or heaven. Now, let me stress this again, but some people just don't seem to understand the significance of this scripture. Verily, I say unto you, except ye be converted, except you change and turn around, twist, and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of God. Now, what is he talking about as far as being little children? Well, he defines it here in verse 4 of Matthew chapter 18. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest, the kingdom of heaven. And humble means to pino in Greek, and it means to depress, to bring low. We have to bring low ourselves, ladies and gentlemen, and depress ourselves. We have to be careful of the following in First Corinthians chapter 8. And I've run across this in my ministry. I've been guilty of this, and I'm doing all I can not to be puffed up with knowledge. But uh, we all have to work on this because if we start getting puffed up with knowledge, um, God is not going to pay attention to us. First Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Yes, we all have some kind of knowledge. However, knowledge puffeth up. This is in First Corinthians 8, verse 1. Puffeth up in Greek means phosio, and it means to inflate, to make proud, to make haughty. So we got to be very careful when we know something. You know, God is certainly not haughty and prideful. Neither should we. And he uses knowledge to help people, not to to, to uh, be arrogant. He's a very humble being. And the fact that he's still allowing us to survive, <laughs> it tells you that he's humble. Uh, but knowledge puffeth up, but charity. In the Greek, charity means agape, and it means love. And what is, the Bible defines love as, in Second 
John 1, verse 6, as walking in the commandments. So walking in the commandments edifies. Edifies in the Greek means all caught all male, and it means to be a house builder. Okay? It builds. It confirms. It edifies. So knowledge should help us love more. It should not make we're better than anyone else. Verse 2, and if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. In verse 3 it says, but if any man love God, the same is known of him. So that, that is a very, very good scripture to inculcate and to um, focus on, ladies and gentlemen. But anyway, this program is for people who want to humble themselves, who realize they don't know everything and understand that the devil has deceived and continues to deceive the entire planet. In Revelation 12, verse 9, he states the following, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent. Just because something is old doesn't mean it's right, folks. Called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole entire planet. He tricks the planet. And that word deceiveth in the Greek means planeo, and it means to deceive, seduce, wander, be out of the way, um, to roam from safety or truth or virtue. That's what he causes uh, the, the populace of the world to do, ladies and gentlemen. There's, if you go to joshuaproject.net and, and look at that website closely, over two point, I think it's over 2.8 billion, or I know it's uh, over 2 billion people, that have not even heard of the name of Jesus, which is a transliteration of uh, Joshua um, and Yeshua's real name is Yeshua. <laughs> Some say Yahshua. Uh, we, we, see, we seem to we can't make up our minds what it is. But anyway, his 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 real name is his um, original name is in Hebrew. That's the point I'm trying to make. And the point also I'm trying to make is that the people that have heard about our Lord and Savior have heard and recognized his name as Jesus. Not only that, but they have been preached his false doctrine, which has been preached for thousands of years since the days of Constantine, I think even before then, uh, that the instructions of God, which is called the Torah, has been nailed to the cross. So, that that has been a lie that has been perpetrated upon the earth for many years. And majority of people that have heard the name of Yeshua, or Jesus, rather, uh, believe that. They've been taught and programmed that, or brainwashed into thinking that uh, it's wrong to keep the Sabbath, it's wrong to keep the holy days. And so the majority of the world has been deceived about religion and about other things as well. This program, its purpose is to undeceive you and to help you to understand what the truth is and what is truth. Psalm 119, verse 142 tells you the truth is the instructions of Yah, which the devil hates. So he, he works in the children of disobedience. And he's been doing that for ages. <laughs> Ephesians, chapter I think it's chapter 2 here, verse 1. And you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past, these are people like myself who have repented, and I'm keeping the Shabbat and the holy days and doing the best that I can to obey all the commandments. Verse 2, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the atmosphere of the air. The spirit, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. And that's what the devil does, ladies and gentlemen. He walks like a roaring lion in First Peter 5, verse 8, looking who he may devour. That's what's going on right now. That's the reason why you don't see any peace. That's why people can't get along. It's because this devil is constantly working to destroy humanity. That's what he's doing. Let's take a look at some world news here, and I'm going to talk about what the day of the Lord is. 
I know people are confused about that, but the Bible tells you what it is if you just blow the dust off of it and read it. Anyway, Typhoon Haiyan. This is what that typhoon is called, uh, the one that uh, devastated the Philippines and the Filipino people. We should be praying for them. You should give to them if you have it to give and pray for them. They're, they're our fellow human beings. So I'm looking at the BBC News, <coughs> excuse me, in their Asia section of their website. It says, Typhoon Haiyan, Philippines death aid arrives. I'm going to read a little bit here. It says, the number of people in the Philippines confirmed dead from Typhoon Haiyan now stands at 3,631. Sad. It's really sad. It says, UN and local agencies have issued conflicting tolls, and the final figure is likely to rise still higher. One week after the storm flood, I mean, one week after the storm, food and supplies are now, be, are now beginning to reach survivors. But aid agencies say the logistics of distribution are enormous. The Philippine government has defended this response to the disaster, one of the strongest storms ever on land. So unless uh, there's desperate shortage and people are struggling and, and they're fighting among each other and, and so forth, and we just need to be praying for our fellow human beings here in the Philippines, ladies and gentlemen. And pray that uh, these countries aren't stingy and they give what they can to help people because they certainly need help. All right, let's look at what's going on here in the Middle East. Watch.org. I go to Koenig's International News website. I'm reading the headline here. It says, Kerry to return to Israel as Netanyahu publicly admits the differences with U.S. on Iran. So they're going back and forth about Iran, and so forth. Um, let Abbas pleads with Erkat to stay on top, stay on top as peace negotiator. Israel said to be working with Saudi Arabia on Iran strike plan. Iran deal may be linked as soon as next week. Netanyahu to France, don't waver on Iran. Um, this is domestic news here, the Democratic uh, Congressman McDermott. I haven't seen this much panic on the floor since September 11th. And this is in response to the House Republican proposal allowing insurers to offer health care plans scheduled to be canceled under Obamacare Friday morning. So this, this health care plan is not as what it was cracked up to be and, and so forth. And uh, we need to, to really pay attention to that and uh, really understand the times that we're living in today. But it looks like um, there's a scripture, I don't know if it's Jeremiah 49, let's turn there, because he quotes this scripture here on the website, Jeremiah chapter 49, verse 35 to 39. Let's take a look at it here. 49, verse 35. This thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will break the bow of Elam, the chief of their might, and upon Elam will I bring the four winds from the four quarters of the heavens. So he's, he's stating that this could be, Elam could be um, talking about, um, obviously, um, Iran. Well, we'll see. I need to do some further study on that. That's the first time I ever, I mean, I've read the whole Bible before, but uh, I haven't totally looked at that. Yet, but anyway, he's stating here that U.S.-Israeli relations are at a very serious stage over Iran. Says approximately 100 million U.S. church attendees and one billion worldwide have no understanding of the biblical significance of the modern state of Israel. True. So we'll see. We'll see if, because uh, we know that Iran is um, Persia. Persia uh, is linked with Iran. And uh, we know that Purim, or the whole book of Esther, is about uh, the Persians being involved with uh, believers at that time, or Jews at that time. And 
And uh, it wouldn't be surprised to me that it happens again. Well, it is happening again, but uh, we'll see whether or not it will be a war. So we need to take a look at that and uh, stay tuned. All right, let's take a look at some domestic news here in the 14 minutes I have left before I get into what the day of the Lord is. Let's look at the economic collapse blog. And I highly recommend you read this blog. It has a lot of information that you wouldn't get on CNN or CBS, NBC, Fox, CNBC. Uh, the if you go to the economic collapse blog dot com, the headline on this blog it says uh, the current headline anyway it says the Federal Reserve is monitoring monetizing a staggering amount of U.S. government debt. The Federal Reserve is creating hundreds and billions of dollars out of thin air. That's what monetizing means. And using that money to buy U.S. government debt and mortgage-backed securities. Let me explain printing money out of thin air. What they're doing is since uh, the United States dollar is the world's leading treasurer, uh, Leading, taking advantage of that, and instead of having the assets and the resources to back up the money that they print, they're just printing out money anyway. And when you do that, you, you increase the money supply and you cause all kind of problems because it's not backed up by you know gold and um, old-fashioned assets. But anyway, the Federal Reserve is creating hundreds of billions of dollars out of thin air and using that money to buy U.S. government debt and mortgage-backed securities and take them out of circulation. Since the middle of 2008, these purchases have caused the Fed's balance sheet to balloon from under a trillion dollars to nearly four trillion dollars. This represents the greatest central bank intervention in the history of the planet. And Janet Yellen says that she does not anticipate that it will end anytime soon because the recovery is still fragile. Of course, as I've showed the other day, the truth is that the quantitative easing, or easing rather, has done essentially nothing for the average person on the street. But what QE has done is that it has sent stocks soaring to record highs. Unfortunately, this stock market bubble is completely and totally divorced from economic reality. And when the easy money is taken away, the bubble will collapse. Just look at what happened a few months ago when Ben Bernanke, or Bernanke rather, suggested that the Fed may begin to taper the amount of quantitative easing that it was doing. The mere suggestion that the flow of easy money would start to slow down a little bit was enough to send the market into deep convulsions. This is why the Federal Reserve cannot stop monetizing debt. The moment the Fed stops, it could throw our financial markets into a crisis even worse than what we saw back in 2008. Here is the no- another headline. It says, Obama's secret treaty, which will merge America more deeply into the, emergency, the emerging one world economic system. All right, so read that, and then uh, Federal Reserve whistleblower tells America the real reason for quantitative easing. So this is another good article. Uh, a lot of um, another article to read: ten facts about the growing unemployment crisis in America that will blow your mind, and then how China can cause the death of the dollar in the entire U.S. financial system. And then another one: which America do you live in? Twenty-one hard to believe facts about wealthy America and poor America. So let's pay attention to the, these articles and study these articles and so we can understand the world we live in and how we live domestically here in the United States and prepare for the worst. As Proverbs 22, verse 3 tells us. Let's turn to Proverbs 22, verse 3. It says, a prudent man or wise man foresees the evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Even FEMA, F-E-M-A, FEMA, our government uh, uh, rescue and uh, safety part, uh, they handle emergencies. They tell us to prepare for disasters, so we should be doing this anyway. All right, that's enough of world news. Let's go to the remaining 10 minutes here. We're going over the book of Revelation. And uh, I don't know how, when I'm going to get done. I'm going to try to really be um, detailed and specific and really help you to understand this book because this is certainly the time to understand this book now. All right, Revelation 1, verse 10. 
What is the day of the Lord? Is it Sunday or Saturday? You're going to find out that it's neither. <laughs> uh, Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as, uh, as of a trumpet. So he was in the Spirit in vision. On the Lord's day, many people have misinterpreted this and says that this is talking about Sunday. No, it's not talking about Sunday. Neither is it talking about the Shabbat or, or Sabbath. What this whole book, this one verse tells you what the whole book of Revelation is about. It's about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. This whole book, the book of Revelation, is about the fall festivals. Okay, uh, the fall festivals begin in September, October of every year, and it, and they begin with the festivals. It's interesting that in this verse it says, "I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice as a, a, of a trumpet." That's a coded message to let you know what this whole book is about, and Rosh Hashanah. Uh, it really should be called Yom Teruah, or the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, because in this book of Revelation, you have seven seals, you have seven trumpets, and seven plagues. And this, this book of Revelation is actually prophesying the fulfillment of the Festival of Trumpets, of the Day of Atonement, of the Festival of Tabernacles, and of the last great day, the Shemit Azret. So, is the fulfillment of the fall festivals is really the fulfillment of the second coming of the Messiah. The and this is why you need to keep the holy days. <laughs> if you don't keep the holy days, you, you're not going to understand the plan of God or prophecy. First Thessalonians five verse one. But of the times and the seasons, brethren. You have no need that I write unto you. So folks like myself who are keeping the holy days, we understand the entire plan of God. We understand the prophetic significance of the scriptures because we keep the holy days. Uh, verse 2, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. And I'm going to get into what that means here in a minute. For when they shall sell peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as a travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober. So he's talking about let, let, let us be sober spiritually. And let's understand something uh, about uh, these feasts and the holy days and what they represent. Because many people are confused by a particular scripture that appears to say that we shouldn't keep um, the holy days. But uh, that's, that's not what it's saying here. Colossians is a very popular scripture to, to state oh we shouldn't keep the holy days but if, if you read this carefully it's saying that we should keep them uh, Colossians 2 verse 16 let no man therefore judge you it doesn't say that people take that scripture out of context and say oh that scripture is telling us that we shouldn't keep the holy days no it's saying let no man judge you we shouldn't let anyone judge us anyway but it says let no man judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or the Shabbat which are a shadow of the things to come. It's a shadow. Okay? It's a shadow of things to come. It has prophetic significance. Now, again, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Shavuot or Pentecost, those have already been fulfilled by the Messiah. Those days have been fulfilled. So what we need in Passover, for Passover, which is a part of the Festival of Unleavened Bread, 
Well, it's a separate event from that, but it's linked with it. And then you have uh, Shavuot. And then you have first fruits before that. First fruits is, is not a holy day, but it's still a day that we should observe. Uh, it pictures the resurrection of the Messiah. All that has been fulfilled. But now we're waiting on the fall festivals to be fulfilled. The, um, the spring festivals picture the, the first coming of the Messiah. The fall festivals picture the second coming of the Messiah. It's all outlined in Leviticus chapter 23 for you to uh, to understand. So anyway, the day of the Lord. Day of the Lord. But for you to really understand what it is, it talks about the day of the Lord. I'm trying to find a scripture here. Oh, here we go. Uh, and Ezekiel 30, verse 3 says, For the day is near, even the day of the Lord. A cloudy day, it shall be a time, the time of the heathen. So the day of the Lord is a time of the heathen, ladies and gentlemen. And it's, it's, it's not a, a day that is pleasant. Uh, in Zephaniah, it really explains um, what the day of the Lord is. And I'm trying to find the scripture where it describes it as being a cloudy day. Well, I already quoted that scripture. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 7. Let me go there. Zephaniah. says, hold thy, Zephaniah 1, verse 7, Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord, for the day of the Lord is at hand, for the, day, for the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He's been his guest. So, it, it's, um, let me quote another scripture. talks about the thief of the night. So, in Revelation chapter 11, Actually, in Revelation chapter 6. Verse 12. And I behold, when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree cast of her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind, and the heaven departed as a scroll, when it's rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bowman, and every freeman hid themselves in the dens, and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains, and rocks fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come, who should be able to stand? And I'm going to, this is an important topic, so I'm going to be cut off here in the next one minute and 22 seconds, but you can access this program in the archives because I really need to explain what the day of the Lord is, and I don't have enough time, unfortunately, to do it. Uh, so I'm going to probably take another five or ten minutes to, to go into detail about um, what the day of the Lord is because you need to understand what it is. And, and I have other scriptures that I need to quote. So this is uh, for your benefit and... Um, I just want to make sure that I clearly under, uh, describe what the uh, day of the Lord is, because you need to know. All right, so what did Yeshua mean when he said um, he's going to come as a thief of the night? Okay, that's something that we need to... Um, to focus on that he did state that he would come as a thief of the night and he actually um, he actually uh, gave you indication that he's going to come as a thief of the night so let's let's go there then we're going to go to Zephaniah to describe to you what the day of the Lord is like the, the environment uh, what it's going to look like and so forth that's in Zephaniah so let's turn to Revelation. Revelation. 
Revelation chapter 16. Now remember, to understand the book of Revelation, you have to understand that it's, it's really composed of, of three main parts uh, as far as the judgments of Yah or God. You have seven seals, you have seven trumpets, and you have seven plagues or vials. So to a good way to remember the book of Revelation is STP. You have seven seals, and then starting with the seventh seal, when it's removed, then you have seven trumpets. Starting with the seventh trumpet being removed, then you have the seven plagues. It's all in succession. I know people are teaching they're all at once. No, it's, it's in succession. Because each of the final seals unleashes greater plagues or greater destruction. The Again, uh, with the seventh seal, you remove the seventh seal, you have seven trumpets. And then you, you remove the seventh trumpet, then you have seven plagues. And then, of course, when the seventh plague is executed upon the earth, um, the Lord says, it is done. So anyway... And I'll read that to you, too, here, because what I'm going to read you here is the seventh vial of plague. So this is the P part of the STP, all right? So Revelation 16, verse 12, And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. That's near Iraq in the Middle East, because the Euphrates River runs through Iraq. And the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east, east of Jerusalem, might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go, so that tells you that devils can work miracles. How else are they going to be able to deceive people? Uh, and to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. This, again, is the day of the Lord, folks. The day of the Lord is a battle. It's a war between God and mankind. That's what the day of the Lord is. And that and that war is not going to be really a war. It's going to end pretty quickly. But that's what it is, The to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. The day of the Lord is a period of when God personally judged this world. He's going to come personally to do it. Verse 15, Behold, I come as a thief. Bless he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, that not he walk naked and they see his shame. So right now, why is he quoting this scripture after it states that all the armies of the world, which are being influenced by the devil, or devils, or demons, are going to be gathered for the great battle of the day of God Almighty, or the day of the Lord. Because he wants, he, he, he wants us to understand that this is when he's going to come back, when this happens. In verse 15 of Revelation 16, verse 15, Behold, I come as a thief. That's how we can understand that. When he says I come, he's talking about he's going to come at the time of all this gathering of, of the armies as you're going to see here. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, that he that not he walk naked, and they see his shame. And then verse 16 of Revelation chapter 16, and he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. So I want you to understand, when the armies are gathered in Armageddon, that should, and if we're still on the earth at that time, we should understand where the Lord is getting ready to come back here. Because he said, at this time, that he's going to come as a thief. He's going to come as a thief to those who aren't aware of these prophecies, but he's not going to come as a thief to me because I know what he said here. He says, I come as a thief, right in the, in, 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 um, the middle of talking about day of the Lord, or the battle of the great day of God Almighty. And then verse 17, after this happens, okay, the, uh, the sixth vial is the gathering of all the nations together. And when the scriptures talk about the great sacrifice, that's what it's talking about. <laughs> it's talking about all the nations being gathered together. 
and the the the, the book of Revelation describes you what's going to happen to him too. Unfortunately, anyway, verse seventeen. And the angel, the seventh angel, poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, "It is done. It is done." So, all the judgments on the earth has been completed, and it's going to culminate with the Messiah landing his feet on the Mount of Olives and finishing the job. And in verse eighteen, and there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. So when this seventh vial is thrown upon the earth, there's going to be a tremendous earthquake. And it's going to be the greatest earthquake that has ever occurred in the history of the world. And then and the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. All the cities of the nations are going to fall. And the great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away. So all nations, all the cities of the nations will fall. Every island fled away. And that word in the Greek means uh, to vanish. And the mountains were now found. So here, I'm trying to, to help you to understand what the day of the Lord is all about and what you're going to experience if you're still alive at this time. You're going to have the greatest earthquake that ever occurred happen during the day of the Lord. Uh, you're going to have all the cities of the nations falling, uh, being destroyed. You're going to have all the mountains being destroyed. So no mountains, no islands, no cities during the day of the Lord. In verse 21, And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, about the weight of a talent. And the talent, I don't know what the weight of a talent is, but anyway, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hell, for the plague there was exceeding great. And it just tells you the, the total wickedness of people at this time. For them to continue to blaspheme God when they're being rightfully punished for being evil. So that tells you the, the state of the world at this time. And, it, and it's very wicked. Now, what what are the... The, what is the environment like at this time? Well, Zephaniah reveals this to us. Let's turn to Zephaniah, chapter 1, starting in verse 14. It says, The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man, shall cry there bitterly. Now, you can understand why. Because you're talking about all the cities being destroyed in the world. Talking about no mountains existing. And you're talking about um, no islands and the greatest earthquake that ever occurred in the history of the world during this day of the Lord, this time of the day of the Lord. So it says the day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. Verse 15, that day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation. What I just described to you, all cities will be destroyed. All mountains will be destroyed. All islands will be destroyed. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Verse 16, a day of the trumpet. Again, verse 16 of Zephaniah chapter 1, a day of the trumpet, an alarm against defense cities and against the high towers. And I will bring distress upon men, that they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord. And their blood shall be poured out as dust, neither their silver nor their gold or their money shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. So th this is significant, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, it really is. Uh, Isaiah 13 verse 9 says, "Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it." That means destroy means totally annihilate. <laughs> That's what it means, ladies and gentlemen. Isaiah 2, verse 12 says, For the day of the Lord of hosts 
shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty, and upon everyone that is lifted up, he shall be brought low. He shall be brought low. Isaiah 13, verse 6, How ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand, it shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Isaiah 34, verse 8, For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance and the year of recompenses for the controversy of Zion. Jeremiah 46, verse 10, For this is the day of the Lord of hosts, a day of vengeance, that he may avenge him of his adversaries, and the sword shall devour, it shall be satiated, and made drunk with their blood. For the Lord God of hosts have a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates. Okay, I just got to telling you about the, the, the river Euphrates in the book of Revelation. When all those armies are gathered, that is the sacrifice that the Bible is talking about on the day of the Lord. So, and then Joel, chapter 2, verse 1, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound which is near Jerusalem, and sound an alarm in the holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh. It is near at hand. It is near at hand. Joel 2, verse 11, And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is great, for he is strong, that ex ex execute of his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can abide it? Joel 3, verse 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And yeah, let's turn there, and Joel, Joel describes this. I hope you get a picture of what the day of the Lord really is, folks. Uh, it, it's, it's the time when the Messiah will land his feet on the Mount of Olives, the Word of God, and he will execute judgment of anyone that will oppose him. That's what the day of the Lord is all about. He's going to be coming off of all the angels and of all the saints. And they're all going to land on the Mount of Olives and take over rulership of this world. That's what the day of the Lord is all about, ladies and gentlemen. So, let's turn to Joel 3. Joel. I had to spend a little more time with this because uh, I want to make sure you understand. This is very important for you to understand this. Joel 3, verse 1, For behold, in those days and in that time when I shall bring again or return or uh, stop from them being in captivity, return again to captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations, what I just read to you in Revelation chapter uh, 16. The, this is just a description of the sixth plague or sixth vial, there's seven vials or plagues. This is the sixth a description, a more detailed description of the sixth vial. I will also gather all nations and bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my, my land. So the land will be uh, divided. It really is already divided that you have Palestinians living in Jerusalem right now. Verse 3, And they have cast lots for my people, and have given a boy for an harlot, and sold a girl for wine that they might have drink. Verse 4, Yes, and what have you to do with me? O Tyre and Zidon and all the coasts of Palestine. Will you render me a recompense, a reward? And if you reward me swiftly and speedily, will I return your reward upon your own head? Because you have taken my silver and my gold, his money, and have carried it to your temples, my goodly children also of Judah in the chamber, or the children of Jerusalem, have you sold into the Greeks? So we know that Greece will play a significant role in end-time prophecy. That you might remove them far from their border. Behold, I will raise them out of the place whether you have sold them, and will return your reward upon your head. And I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the children of Judah, or, or the Jews. And they shall sell them to the Sabians, and to a people far off for the Lord have spoken. Verse 9, Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles, prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let him come up. Again, this is a, a, a detailed description of the sixth vial, which is a part of the seven vials of seven plagues that the book of Revelation describes. Verse 10, Beat your plowshares into swords, and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves and come, all you heathen, and gather yourselves around about. Cause the mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Verse 13. 
of Joel chapter 3. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full. The fats overflow, for the wine, the wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And the reason why I say it's the day of the Lord, because when he lands his feet on the Mount of Olives, that is the end of the day. I mean, that the day of the Lord is, is culminated in that event. Verse 15, the sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake. I just described that to you. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So, the day of the Lord is a significant event in world history. The coming of our Lord and Savior on the earth. Uh, described in Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, it says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and the spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather, here we go again, this is the description of the sixth vial in the book of Revelation. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women raped or ravished. And half the city shall go forth into captivity. And that's what he was talking about when he said that the, the city, the, the land shall be divided. That's half the city going into captivity. And the residue of the, the people shall not be cut off from the city. When this event occurs, when, uh, when he's gathering all the nations, that's when all this will happen. That's when the women will be raped and, and the house rifled and half the city going into captivity. And then immediately after this happens, verse 3, you know, uh, some false prophets or teachers are teaching that there's a gap between Re uh, Revelation 2 and 3. There's no gap when you compare all the other prophecies. Uh, Zechariah 14, verse 3, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And verse 4, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And what is the, what is the, what's the description of, of, this, of the, the vial again? That all, actually when the seventh vial is executed, all the mountains will be removed. Well, this is a, a description of that. It says, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. So the mountains will be it's going to be all the mountains of the world, basically, including ones in Jerusalem, are going to be removed. And and uh, it says, you shall flee to the valley of the mountains, or the vast majority of them anyway. So, this is a, a, a description of the second coming of the Messiah. And what triggers this is that he's going to gather or allow the demons to gather all the armies of the world that are against him. And the Bible describes this as a sacrifice. <laughs> uh, Zechariah 14, verse 5. Uh, unfortunately, that's a sacrifice I know I don't want to be a part of. But uh, Zechariah 14, verse 5. You shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach into Azel. Yes, you shall flee like as he fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzzah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. So all the saints also are going to be with him um, when he lands his feet on the Mount of Olives and the angels as well. So, ladies and gentlemen, that is a description of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the triumphal coming of our Lord and Savior with his angels and the saints. And uh, it's going to initiate the, the rulership of this entire planet. Um in Deuteronomy, not Deuteronomy, but Daniel chapter 7, describes this for those who don't understand. Um, Daniel 7, verse 13 to 14, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, which is the Father, and they, they brought him near before him. Verse 14, and there was given him dominion and glory in the kingdom that all people languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. And then in verse 
22, until the ancient of days came, Daniel 7, verse 22, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. And so the, uh, the kingdoms of this world will be given to the Messiah and the saints to rule. And, and Daniel 7, verse 27, And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. And so that this is what this all is, is all about. Rulership of the planet will be given to Yeshua and the saints. So that's the important thing to understand in reference to that. Now, Revelation, let's go over this again. Revelation chapter 6. So when is the day of the Lord initiate? Well, let's read this here. Again, in Revelation 6 verse 12. This is the six seals, not the six trumpet. It is not the six vial. It's different. Uh, Revelation 6 verse 12 And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal And lo there was a great earthquake And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair And the moon became as blood Verse 13 And as the stars of heaven fell unto the earth Even as the fig tree cast of her untimely figs When she is shaken out of a mighty wind And the heaven departed as a scroll When it is rolled together And every mountain and island were moved out of their places And the kings of the earth And the great men and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. So there's still uh, mountains existing at this time. Verse 16, And said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. So it appears that God is going to miraculously uh, reveal himself in a way where people will not be able to see him or else they'll be destroyed but anyway verse 17 for the great day of his wrath is come which is the day of the lord and who shall be able to stand so this is the initiation of the start of the period of the day of the lord which culminates in the messiah landing his feet on the mount of olives so that's what the day of the lord is ladies and gentlemen it's a time when god directly intervenes directly intervenes and shows people who's boss. That's the simplest way I can explain it. And this world must be punished, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we we think we know, but we don't know. And God is going to show us that uh, He's going to show us that He's not pleased with our wickedness. In Isaiah 13, verse 11, I will punish the world. Isaiah 13, verse 11, I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. In verse 12, I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man than the golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth shall remove out of her place. In the wrath of the Lord of hosts, and in the day of his fierce anger, in that day, that's what's going to occur, ladies and gentlemen. So, this is very important to understand that, and if you're a believer, you'll be uh, spared this. And that's another Bible study. But, uh, you don't want to experience the wrath of God, which is the culmination of the day of the Lord, which is the seven vials. So you, you don't want to to be in that situation, ladies and gentlemen. You really don't. So in Second Peter three verse ten it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth, or the earth also, the works that are therein shall be burnt up. It's talking about the evil works will be burnt up. Another significant scripture here it, it describes the coming of uh, the Messiah and what's, what it's going to be like. And let me see, let me uh, find it here. It's going to come in a way where, yeah, with fire. Isaiah 66, verse 15, For behold, the Lord will come with fire, 
Isaiah chapter 66, verse 15, For behold, the Lord will come with fire, and with his chariots like a whirlwind, to render his anger with fury, and his rebuke with flames of fire. Verse 16, For by fire and by his sword will the Lord plead with all flesh, and the slain of the Lord shall be many, shall be many. And so when he comes back, he's going to come back with fire, and he's going to be this, you know, destroying people that don't want to obey him, ladies and gentlemen. That's what the day of the Lord will consist of. And then I think a good scripture to get a, a good picture of the day of the Lord, Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19 here. This is the description of the day of the Lord here. Revelation 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. This is the culmination of the ending of the day of the Lord. The, uh, the literal day that he's going to come and land his feet on the Mount of Olives and take over rulership of the world and punish all the, the, the wicked people with fire and with sword. And see, when it says the day of the Lord is near, that's the warning period, which began with the sixth seal being removed, okay, which initiated uh, the uh, the seventh seal, which initiates the seven trumpets. But the, the day of the Lord is near begins when the sixth seal is removed. But it ends, or it... Uh, culminates with the literal day of him coming back with the angels and the saints and landing his feet on the Mount of Olives and judging with fire and sword. And so Revelation 19, what I want to read you here, gives you uh, a, a more detailed description of what's going to happen when he comes back with the angels and the saints. Revelation 19, verse 11, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was faithful and true, and in righteousness he does judge and make war. Verse 12, His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, diadems, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Verse 14, And the armies which consists of the angels and the saints, which were in heaven, followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and that with, with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, with authority, with force. And he threadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Verse 16, And he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So he's not going to be the only king. It's going to be other kings, and it's going to be other lords. It is the kingdom of God. Verse 17, And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together to the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses, and, and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. This is the gathering together again of all the armies. Uh, the sixth vial. Verse 20. What actually the sixth vial has already occurred. This is after it, it occurred. It's describing again the all the unification of the world's armies to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army, which consists of the saints and the, and the uh, angels. Verse 20, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that uh, wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worship his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeds out of the mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. So this is the description of the day of the Lord. His literal coming. And 
when Joel talks about the day of the Lord is near, the day of the Lord is near, he's talking about the literal day that he's going to land on the earth. And that is, of course, the day of the Lord is near is, is actually talking about the sixth seal. Because the sixth seal describes the following here. It says, for the great day of his wrath has come. Has come. And who shall be able to stand? So it's coming. It's come. And then, of course, the seventh seal. Revelation 8, verse 1. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And so during this whole period, the, the earth is dark, it's cloudy, it's, it's, it's just destruction, everything. And then you have the seven trumpets being executed. And then the seven trump executes the seven plagues. And then after that, the Messiah comes back with the saints and the angels, lands his feet on the Mount of Olives, and destroys all the armies of the world and any, anyone else with the sword and with fire that opposes him. That, my friends, is the day of the Lord, and that's what the entire book of Revelation is all about, ladies and gentlemen. The day of the Lord, the day, the time that the Messiah will come back and rule this earth. That's what the entire book of Revelation leads to, and that's what it's talking about. The, the entire book of Revelation is the fulfillment of the Festival of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, which is Yom Kippur, the Festival of Tabernacles, which is Sukkot, and the last great day, which is Shemni Hatzeret. Let me describe brief, briefly what each of those days represent. The Festival of Trumpets describes really the seven trumpet plagues. I mean, that's, it's, it's all about the seven trumpet plagues, ladies and gentlemen. Culminating with the return, uh, uh, culminating with the resurrection, the resurrection of the first fruits. And that is found in Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. Verse 15, and the seven angels sounded, which is the seven trumpet, and there was great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Okay, so that the seven trump makes an announcement to the world that the kingdoms of this world has been taken over from the devil and given to the Messiah. But he doesn't land his feet on the Mount of Olives right away because we have the seven plagues uh, that are going to be executed. At the at the when the seventh plague is executed, that's when he lands his feet on the Mount of Olives. And I'm going to go over the, over this whole sequence uh, in the weeks and months ahead as I continue to go over the Book of Revelation. So that's what the Festival of Trumpets represents: the the trumpet uh, punishments on the earth, culminating with the uh, seven trumpet sounding and the first resurrection of the saints. Now, the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, represents the literal coming of the Lord to land his feet on the Mount of Olives. And it also uh, symbolizes um, the separation of sin from not sinning. Okay, it's, it, it really represents the purification of the entire planet from sin. That's what Yom Kippur represents. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When he lands his feet on the Mount of Olives, that process will literally begin with taking it out of the world. Okay? Sukkot represents is the millennium in Revelation chapter 20. The 1,000 year rule of the saints and the Messiah. And also, the um, during the Festival of Tabernacles, the, the seventh day, the seventh day, that represents the great white throne judgment that is described in the book of Revelation, where people will be given an opportunity for the first time to really understand him. That's what Yeshua was talking about I think in John chapter 7, 
um, it, it was a, this is a prophecy. I think it's in John chapter seven here. When he talks about him being living waters. No, let me let me go ahead and find it here. The living waters symbolize the Holy Spirit. I know this is in John somewhere. Here we go. John 7, verse uh, 37. In the last day, the great day of the feast, uh, is, is the, the last day of that feast is, is the festival of trumpets. Not not trumpets, uh, tabernacles, the cult. And it says, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me. So if any man thirsts, anyone on the planet, come and let him drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Verse 39, but this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So that's what the great white throne judgment is. It's not a judgment of damnation. It's totally the opposite. And then the Shemini um, Atzeret, or the last great day, pictures the new heavens and the new earth, Revelation chapter 21. So this entire book of Revelation is all about the fall festivals. That's the reason why you need to start observing them so you can understand God's entire plan for mankind. You can understand the first and second comings of the Messiah. All right, so I have covered what the uh, the Lord's Day is. It doesn't mean Sunday. It doesn't mean Saturday. It means the prophetic fulfillment of the Messiah coming back to judge the world. And it also represents the time period uh, leading to that uh, coming, that literal day when he lands his feet on the Mount of Olives and begins to judge the world and purge the world of wickedness. Again, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All right. So I'll hopefully be available to you next week. May the great Yah bless and keep you. And Yah willing, I'll be available to you next week. Shalom. Peace. Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.